everyone, and welcome to the Kajabi Edge podcast, where we talk to real entrepreneurs to give you an edge on Kajabi. I'm your host, Jared Lohman, Vice President of Customer Experience, and today I'm joined by Ellen Yin, founder and podcast host of Cubicle to CEO. How's it going today, Ellen? Hi, I'm so excited to be here, Jared. Lifelong Kajabi fan, so just thrilled to be on the show. I'm excited to have uh, yet another podcast host on the show. This is this is awesome. It's like a it's a club that I I'm, I'm fortunate to be a part of now. Um, <laughs> it is really fun. I I uh, have a friend who's in the podcasting space and he calls all of us his pod pals. And I feel like that's exactly what we are. <laughs> I love it. I love that. I'm going to use that now. I'm going to use that yes. now. Well, uh, this, this story is, of course, not about podcasting. This is about you. So like just to kind of start things off, could you kind of give us like the 15 second elevator pitch of what it is you do? What does Cubicle to CEO mean? Absolutely. So Cubicle to CEO is a media company elevating the financial footprint of women entrepreneurs. And we do that through our podcast of the same name, also Cubicle to CEO, our digital programs that we've created through Kajavi, our live events, and our community. And our mission really is to make mentorship more accessible to the masses so that all women everywhere can pursue what's possible. I love it. I love it. And uh, I'm just guessing uh, that there is probably some unique meaning uh, to this. I I did a little bit of research myself just looking at um, like your website and stuff. Um, It looks like you kind of stumbled upon the entrepreneurial journey. So maybe like we can kind of start with like that, that aspect of the, of the journey for you. Absolutely. So like many of you who are probably listening to this, entrepreneurship was an accidental journey. It wasn't something I intended to do with my life. I actually, you know, I graduated college with a degree in exercise science has absolutely nothing to do with what I do now. And I, I always did work in marketing. However, that was uh, my first job out of college was working as a marketing PR coordinator for a fitness startup. And then I eventually moved into a corporate marketing role for a healthcare company in my hometown. And that job was my first taste of corporate America. And, you know, I I knew from day one working in a cubicle and being very stifled in terms of creativity wasn't the right fit for me. So I actually only lasted about 10 months at that job. And a couple of days before Christmas in December 2017, I was 23 at the time. I just decided that I was I was done and I didn't have a plan for what was next, but I just knew that this wasn't the right fit and staying longer um, wouldn't prolong or prolonging, I guess, my time in in that role wouldn't really change the outcome. So I quit without a backup plan, much to (laughs) the dismay of my parents. And uh, that January, I was actually actively searching for a new marketing job, but I ended up reconnecting with a colleague of mine at, at the company I had left. And him and his wife were local business owners and had these coffee stands that didn't really have much of a presence on social media. And he knew that I knew a thing or two about Instagram marketing. So he was like, Hey, while you're job searching, would you mind, you know, just taking on this project and and seeing if you could help us increase our, our presence online. And so I thought that sounds like a lot of fun. It uses the skills that I already have. And so I took them on as my first freelance client and it was a $300 project that totally changed my life because I think I realized for the first time, Oh, there's an alternative path for me. I have a skill set that I can monetize on my own outside of, you know, a, a nine to five job. And so I just ran with it. I stopped applying for jobs that same week. And I, you know, the rest is history as they say. So it's been, what is it? This is four and a half years in now. And we've, we've served over 10,000 students in our programs and recorded hundreds of, you know, different pieces of content through the years and done so much. And it's just been um, a wild adventure, but I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. I mean, take us, take us through that even in a little bit more detail. You you get your first customer, which is like, that's, you know, I, I, a moment for every entrepreneur, 
customer is like a celebratory moment, that first customer. Um, how did you go from, I guess, one to two? Like you made the decision, of course. Yes. What happened next? Yeah. I love this question because so few, so few opportunities have I had to actually dive into that little um, next step of the journey. So, so they were my first client. And I, once I had completed that first month with them, I was able to renew them for a few more months. And so they became really my first retainer client. And then from there, um, I actually was introduced to someone who was looking for help with managing Facebook comments. It was actually a a large um, e-commerce brand that was kind of the pioneer of the cauliflower craze, uh, that whole category of like cauliflower pizza crust and cauliflower everything, you know, when it blew up in 2018. And they just, they had an overwhelming volume of just comments on a day-to-day basis that they needed help keeping up with. So it was supposed to be a very just like limited type of work, very short-term temporary, but literally in the first two to three weeks of me helping out on um, that side of things, I was already starting to, you know, pitch some ideas of, oh, like I could see you guys maybe adding in this type of content to your Instagram or trying this strategy. And they really were receptive and open to my ideas. And so that role very quickly evolved into me taking over their entire social media accounts and strategy and then influencer marketing for them. And then it just kind of kept growing and growing. And so they became my second and largest client, still to this date, my largest client that I've ever worked with. And, you know, that was an amazing ride. I think um, we worked together for almost two years and they were my second client. But then, you know, it's that snowball momentum effect where, you know, it starts small, but the more, the more you work with someone, um, the more the rest of the things just kind of seem to fall in place easier. So, you know, I just built out from there and just kept pitching people, kept having conversations, kept connecting. Tell us like a little bit about like what the timeline on that looks like. Is that, was that, did that happen quickly for you? Were you able to like actually, I don't know if like replace your income, but, or, or rather build, build enough to where you're able to sustain your lifestyle, I guess. Totally. So I think within, I'm trying to remember. So my, my first client, uh, I got paid February of 2018. And I think by end of April, so two, about two full months in, I had already replaced my corporate income. Now, granted, you know, I was like a coordinator job. It wasn't like I was replacing like a director level salary or anything by that means, but I had replaced my corporate income. And then within that first 12 months of being in business, we actually crossed over a hundred thousand dollars in, um, in, in services that we had provided. And I think by what was it? Maybe one and a half years in, I, you know, was working with a handful of clients, like anywhere from five to 10, given, you know, just with the fluctuations and, in, in, you know, month to month. But it was, it was a very, I think, fast, just headfirst deep dive into this world. And I was really just learning as I was going because I didn't even really have time to sit down and plan because everything was happening so fast. Yes. It sounds like, sounds like you are a doer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Like all, all entrepreneurs, you, yeah. you take action. Um, so you, you was there a moment? Was there a moment there at all where you were like, you get this big client? Like, did you ever just say like, hire me? Like, just give me a job? Or was it clear to you at that point that this is like entrepreneurial path is my path? Yeah, it's funny you asked that actually, because that client, um, you know, has obviously since become a friend and we laugh about it sometimes because she tried really hard for a while to get me to actually transition into an employee role. Um, and you know, made that offer multiple times saying, we'd love to have you on full time as, you know, a W2 team member. And, you know, I did, I did consider it because, it, you know, they, they were such a magnetic startup and, and had so many awesome things going 
for them. So it was a really exciting role and a, an amazing opportunity. Um, but I think for me at that point, even, even pretty early in like six months into my journey, I just felt like I wasn't ready to lay whatever this adventure was to rest yet. I hadn't lived it out to where I knew it could go. So, you know, I, I decided to just trust myself and say, you know, even though this might not make sense on paper for me to say no to that stability and, and to an, a truly incredible offer, I, I wanted to see where else, you know, where else this could take me. And, and like you, um, at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned the word curiosity. I feel like that's really my core value in life is living out curiosity and, and trying not to over plan and over place expectations and, and create agendas on like, this is what should happen. And this is what I need to do for X, Y, Z to result. I think the best things in life happen when you kind of just have this open mind and you go, okay, let's just do this next thing in front of me and see where that leads. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Uh, generally it, it works best when you have the plan in place, but you allow those steps to form the next step to form right. And kind of in front of you. Um, so a hundred thousand dollars, you mentioned the first year, that's like a, I think like every entrepreneur's dream is like the six figure job, if you will. Um, I guess, uh, like you also have, I think since then you've like really expanded and grown your business. Uh, maybe you can touch on just like a few other areas that uh, outside of just service providing that you're now doing. Yeah. So we actually, um, let's see. So we started the business in 2018, scaled up with clients and I started, you know, hiring help because I just couldn't manage all of those clients myself anymore. And then right around the end of 2019, we actually made a pretty large transition in the business and let go of all but one of our clients. And to this day, still, we only have that one marketing client still on our roster. And we decided to fully step into the, the online education space. So I created my very first course, um, or I guess it's since then become more than just a course. But that first program was in early 2019. And you know, for the first, I would say 9 to 12 months of that program, it, it was making you know very, very minimal um, revenue for the business, like maybe anywhere from $500 to $1,000 a month. But even though... And again, I think the longer you know me, or maybe the more of my story you hear, the more you realize that sometimes the decisions I make really don't make sense on paper, but I just really lean into that gut feeling. And so I just... I felt so called and so excited to work with people through programs and through courses and education. And so at the end of 2019, even though I had a thriving client space business, I, like I said, I, I let go of all of my clients except for one. And I said, let's just do this. Let's step fully into creating courses and working with students, um, even though it's not really making money for us right now. But I, I knew myself and I knew that as long as I have that safety net of you know my services and the clients, I, I would never truly give this the, the attention that it deserved and needed to really thrive and grow because my my attention was always being pulled right and and meeting the client's needs and rightfully so because they're paying me so i made that decision and then 2020 was just such a game changing year for us um we made over $560,000 in 2020 the majority of that like 95% of that revenue came from courses that we sold through kajabi and that was just a total you know milestone moment in our business for us and since then uh, like i mentioned earlier our programs have enrolled over 10,000 students and we've sold over $1 million in programs. And so it's it's been nothing like I imagined it would be when I made that decision. And I think that again, speaks to what you and I just talked about that sometimes you can't accurately see the whole path until you're actually in the process of doing it. And one of my all-time favorite quotes, and I... I'm, 
I can't remember the name of the poet, but uh, it's it goes, traveler, there is no path. The path is made by walking. And I, I just think that's such a beautiful description of what this journey of entrepreneurship is. It's like you, you have to create the path. It's not necessarily something you find. I love that. That's put so much more articulately, articulately than I put it. <laughs> I'm going to have to start using the quote. <laughs> it's a good one. I mean, I can't take credit for it, but yeah, just Google it. You can find the original author, but um, it's, uh, yeah, it just really spoke to me when I, when I heard it. Yes. Yes. Um, so uh, I, you, you mentioned that you are, you know, you, you appreciate transparency, authenticity, authenticity and in, in sharing like numbers and stuff. I don't know. Like one, one thing I'm just curious about, like when we talk about course revenue and I, I imagine like there's probably a few listeners out there that are curious about this as well. Um, one of like the common, like, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's a misconception or like a little bit of a pushback on that is like, Oh, you spend all like, yeah, you made $500,000, but you spent four hundred thousand dollars in ads like like mm-hmm. i guess just like without even getting into the details for you like what did this look like did this was this a situation to where like i guess like you you found that you were investing more than you were getting out of this or was this something that um like actually produced a viable um a viable revenue source for you i love this question so much jared and i absolutely agree with you that especially in the online business the conversation often seems to be dominated by these flashy claims like i made a million dollars with this funnel overnight, right? Or whatever it is. And there's usually very, very little context surrounding these numbers, which is why I'm such an advocate for financial transparency. And so actually for the last three years of my business since 2019, um, well, it started as written reports in 2019, but since the very beginning of 2020 on the podcast on Cubicle to CEO, we actually share exactly what our company makes, spends and profits every 90 days in our quarterly income reports. So you talked about, you know, without the details, if you want the nitty gritty, if you want like literally to the dollar amount, exactly what's happening, you can totally go to our podcast and catch up on all our past income reports. Cause I actually, I share all of that with you. So I disclose that. But to your point, um, as far as my course journey has gone, we have been profitable this entire time, which is something I'm really proud of, especially being a self-funded business. And I mean, literally this entire business, everything that we've ever created came from that first $300, like that $300 project and that revenue from that has been reinvested over and over and over and over again to become what it is today. And so we have been profitable to answer that question, but to answer the question of like, where, where do these students come from? Right. Um, 2020, that, that year that like we made huge leaps in terms of both student enrollment, as well as, uh, revenue made from courses. There's two parts to that story. So for, for a long time, the only program that we had, um, was a 12 month mentorship program, our signature program, where we help service providers, coaches, and freelancers uh, make their first $10,000 a month from one-on-one services. So with that program, we actually were able to scale that to a 10K and above MRR. So that stands for monthly recurring revenue completely organically. And I know some people might be listening to this and thinking, oh, well, it's because you had a large audience. At the time that this happened, I did not. So I my email list was very, very small. And I actually didn't really even use my email list much in promoting um, the program when it first started, it it was actually from borrowed traffic. So this is a strategy that I really believe is so important for all entrepreneurs to learn and utilize, but especially new entrepreneurs. Because I always tell people, yes, growing your own audience and community is an incredible asset to your business. But the one thing most educators don't remind you of is that it does take time. And so patience and time and consistency are what will build your community. But in the meantime, I don't want you hanging out in no man's land where you're just like building 
building, building, building your audience, hoping one day you'll have the chance to sell to them when there are so many viable, amazing communities that have already been built up for you by other people in your space, by other platforms where your perfect student is waiting for you. And if you can tap into those pre-built communities, when you have no followers, no email list, you can still enroll students right away if you can tap into those traffic sources. And so that's really what we did. Um, We did so many partner campaigns starting out and we were able to, like I said, get that program up to a six-figure revenue generating program without any ads. And then when we started running ads for that program, we also simultaneously at the very beginning of 2020, right around March, we launched a, a small product, a $27 product called Hashtag Hacks. And it was a it was a funnel that had a $27 product, a $37 order bump, and an $87 upsell. All that built within Kajabi. It was my first time building a funnel. And I was so scared of the word funnel because I always thought it had to be so complicated. And I actually knocked out that whole funnel in one week's time, just like hammering it out on my computer and using Kajabi for all of it. And that program was the first program that I really poured ad money into. And that was the program that just skyrocketed um, our customer acquisition because it was such a low ticket offer, we were able to acquire thousands of students and and essentially at the very least break even on our front end ad spend because the the purchase, the $27 purchase essentially covered what it cost us to acquire them. And then any upsells on the back end were just pure profit. So um, that was a long answer to your question, but I hope that context helps kind of understand how we approached the course process. Yeah, that was an amazing answer to my question because I was going to ask follow-up questions that you already answered. Um, <laughs> Uh, what I actually what I think I'd love to drill into further is like I want to better understand borrowed traffic because I feel like you just like showed us this solid gold chunk but like I don't yet know like I don't I don't have quite have the map like I the x on the map but I don't know how to get there so tell us more about this absolutely so okay so I have a free master class that I created um that has an analogy that I think will help so I'm going to share it here it, to help you better understand this concept of borrowed traffic if you're like I have no idea what the heck you're talking about. So the way I describe it is like, let's pretend that your audience, let's just take Instagram, for example, let's say that's the main way you promote yourself online, right? Let's pretend that your Instagram is, is like your neighborhood. Okay. And your house is like your, your Instagram profile, your neighborhood are, uh, is your, you know, the ecosystem of Instagram and and your neighbors are your followers. And let's say your business is a lemonade stand. Obviously it's not, but let's just say the program you're selling with in this analogy, it's lemonade stand. So if you depend only on selling to people who already follow you, who already exist in your audience and who already know, like, and trust you, it is the equivalent of parking your lemonade stand in front of your house and selling to your neighbors and saying, Hey, I have lemonade for sale. Come, you know, come get a drink. And it works maybe on a very small scale for a little while. But the truth is some of your neighbors don't want lemonade. Maybe they already have lemonade in their fridge. They don't need to buy from you. Some people will come support your lemonade, but after everybody, in your neighborhood, after you've cycled through everyone you could possibly reach with your lemonade stand, what happens next, right? If you're limited just to selling to your own audience, what happens after you've sold to everyone in your neighborhood? Well, what happens is if you wait to grow your audience again before you can sell again, it is the equivalent in this analogy of waiting for someone to move out of their house and a new neighbor (laughs) to move into that house. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I have a new audience member. I can sell to them, right? And as you can imagine, that's a really slow and 
painstaking process. Now, is it like I said at the beginning, is it important to build your audience over time? Yes, of course. But the operative word being, it takes time. So the other option you have, right, is this time, if you think outside of the box and you go, okay, so clearly this is a slow process, but I have this really great lemonade stand and I have this amazing lemonade. Where can I go where people would be lining up around the block to buy my lemonade? Where can I go where there's going to be thirsty people who need this lemonade and it's an urgent need and I have the solution for them? So this time, let's pretend that you take your lemonade stand to a busy corner right outside of a huge outdoor stadium where they're hosting a big summer concert series. Okay. So all of these people, thousands and thousands of people have come to this stadium to watch their favorite artists perform. And are they there for you and your lemonade stand? No, right. They're there because of the artists for the concert, but, but because they're already congregated there and because you've conveniently parked your lemonade stand right outside that stadium, it's a hot day. They're inevitably going to get thirsty. And as they're on their way in and out of the stadium, they happen to pass by you and they go, Oh yeah, I could, I could really use a drink of lemonade right now. And all of a sudden you have a line of customers out your door. These are people who did not show up for you initially. They don't know who you are. They don't really have any sort of attachment or connection to you, but because you were able to get in front of the right traffic with the right problem and you present them the right solution, all of a sudden your business is booming. So that's, that's the concept of borrowed traffic. And I'll pause there before I continue on in case there's any follow-up. Yeah. yeah, I I, I want to know more. First of all, I, I'm absolutely enamored by this. I love this analogy. Like what I'd love to hear more is like kind of like a practical example of maybe even how this worked for you or how you've seen this work for maybe people you've you've taught. Absolutely. So there's so many forms of borrowed traffic, which is really the beauty of of utilizing a strategy like this. So for example, let's let's even take what we're doing right now, right? You and I, Jared, we're having this conversation on a podcast, Kajabi Edge. Some of the people I would I would assume most of the people listening to this podcast have no idea who I am. They're probably listening to this and meeting me for the first time. But if if someone listening to this podcast podcast right now is someone with a small audience who wants to grow a profitable business despite having a small audience. They have a problem. I have a solution, right? So they're meeting me through this podcast. I don't own this audience. You guys do. Kajabi does. But because I was able to get on your platform and get in front of them the right traffic, now all of a sudden their curiosity may be piqued to go you know, explore who I am and what I have to offer after this interview is over. So media, any form of media, whether you are speaking on real stages or virtual stages, whether you're guesting on people's podcasts, guest writing for people's blogs, going live on Instagram with someone else in your industry who serves a similar audience. Those are all examples of borrowed traffic where you are getting in front of someone else's audience that serves the same person you do from a complimentary angle. So that's really the key there is finding people who serve the same audience as you from complimentary angles. And even within this example, right? Like I am obviously not a software creator. I do not have a competing product to Kajabi. So it it would make sense for me to reach you guys on this podcast because I have something complimentary to offer to what Kajabi is already providing in value for you all. So that's one example. Um, another example is you know the strategy that I personally use to scale our signature program to that first six figures 100% organically. So without ads. So same idea. I would find other educators in my industry who taught the people that I wanted to reach, which are service providers 
providers, coaches, and freelancers. But I wanted you know to make sure that they didn't already have something in their own product suite that specifically was focused on how do you market your services, even if you have a small audience, or even if you don't want to show up and post every day on social media. So I would partner with people who maybe taught um, operations and systems, or I would partner with people who taught business owners how to budget and finance, or how to uh, build an email list, or how to do anything other than what I was teaching. And I would say, Hey, I have this amazing masterclass that provides free value to your people. Can I come and teach this class to your people? So you are giving your audience a gift right off the bat and inviting them to a free resource that costs them nothing and will provide value to them regardless of whether or not they decide to do anything after that class. And then at the end of the class, I will present to them you know, my, my program as a continued solution if they're looking for more in-depth support on this topic. And anyone who joins my program, I'd love to pay you on you know the back end a commission as a thank you for referring them to me in the first place. So this was a win-win-win situation because win for the person I was partnering with, because now instead of turning people away who have this problem of how do I market my services, even if I have a small business, they had no solution to offer to these people. Now they were able to direct them and help their audience by giving them a free resource. So win for them. They also earn passive income or not completely passive. I shouldn't say passive. They earn income that they don't have to deliver any new services or products on, right? For something that's already been created. So they they earn money, they get a cash injection, and they get to help their audience. It's also a win for me because it's essentially risk-free, right? Unlike ads where you are pouring money into something that's not necessarily guaranteed to produce the output that you want. When you partner with people and you do partner campaigns, you're only paying someone if you also got paid. So it's a win-win. And then lastly, for me, the best part of that strategy personally was that I love using our advertising budget to support our fellow creators and educators rather than pouring all of our money into the Facebook ads machine. So this is this is one of those moments to where like if I was listening to this, I would be wanting to put push the pause button so I could stop and start like just brainstorming and doing. Uh, I can't because we're talking to each other live right now and we have a limited <laughs> amount of time. But I am going to do this later for those listeners who are here who are for anyone listening to this. I hope you pause and take some action now because this is such good stuff. So good that I completely derailed um, like just the typical structure and the flow of the show. Um, but I think this is a good time to just kind of segue into it. we've talked a lot about not only the upsides, but really got into strategy. Like there is undoubtedly a side to entrepreneurship that isn't all rainbows and sunshine. We usually talk about this a little early on, but like, I guess, tell us a little bit more about some of the challenges associated with uh, entrepreneurship and your journey here. Oh, man, there are so many challenges. And I think, you know, that that's honestly why we wanted to start a media company is because we feel like when I say we, I mean, like me, my team, other peers in my industry who who support this this venture, right? I, I think that the media loves to highlight success stories, but it so rarely shows all of the in-between moments that made that one moment of time, right? A, a success. And so I think, you know, one of the key challenges that I have dealt with over my years as an entrepreneur. Um, well, first of all, starting as a solopreneur, as all of us do, it's it's an interesting transition to become like an employer or a business leader. Even like I have full time, you know, employees, but 
not, you know, even if you have part-time contractors, just stepping into that role of leader and manager is a totally different skill set. And I think a lot of people don't realize that it is a different skill set because you can be really great at your craft or you can even be an excellent marketer, an excellent salesperson, but that doesn't make you automatically a great leader or a great manager. You know, it's a totally different skill set. And so that has been such a huge learning curve for me. And, you know, learning these things that I'm brand new to, like how how do you hire people? How do you have those hard conversations when maybe expectations aren't met? How do you make sure that you are creating an environment where people feel confident in and making autonomous decisions, but also be okay with the fact that sometimes inevitably they will make the wrong decision? And how do you deal with the repercussions of that, right? And, and give them that learning space. And so there's a lot of things in that side that I have been working through, have struggled with. I think also a key challenges is knowing that, you know, as a self-funded business, you don't have investor money or venture capital to fall back on necessarily. So every decision and every risk you put in is very personal because it's like this is literally the, you know, my money on the line, or it's, you know, the the paychecks that my employees are relying on. It's their money on the line. And so um learning how to how to take big risks, but also manage risk, I think has been um, really hard. And there there have been ups and downs, right? Like for example, because I share income transparently, our best revenue month ever, February 2021, I believe. We... I can't remember the exact number, but it was... I think we made somewhere around like $106,000 in revenue. That was not a good month for us ad-wise, profit-wise in terms of ads. We spent a lot of money and the margin... If I remember, it was either almost break-even or like we might have even been negative. And there have been months that, you know, not where the whole business was negative, but where a a large portion didn't work out the way that we thought it would. And so I think it's important to have those conversations and to realize that it's not, it's not a straight trajectory up. There's so many in-between moments. And especially as you evolve as a business and evolve as a business owner, like I said, we've gone through multiple phases in our business. We started as a service-based business, working with clients on a done-for-you basis. Then we moved into the education space. Space. We're still in that space, but now as we're bringing in the media side of our business and really pivoting to creating that, that's a whole different world. I mean, in media, content is your product. Whereas for so long, I've lived in a world where selling digital products, content is your marketing strategy to drive people to your actual product, right? Your paid programs. In media, content is the end product. That's the end product that your audience consumes and that advertisers pay for sponsorship spots on. And so it's a totally different business model. It's like starting from scratch and having to relearn everything. Um, but that's kind of also the fun of it, right? Like I think we get into entrepreneurship because it is a challenge and because we don't know all the answers because it would be boring if honestly, if we did. Of course, of course. Yeah. I think uh, like a lot of times we we have the ten- we have a tendency to look at like that next step and feel like, oh, all the problems go away once we get there. But the reality of it is, it's just different problems. <laughs> totally, totally. And honestly, like one of my favorite things that uh, or like favorite perspective perspective shifts that I had early on that really helped me. So I'll share it here in case it helps any of you who are listening is that exactly like what Jared said, I think sometimes we think the more we become an expert in something, somehow our imposter syndrome will lessen. I've actually found the complete opposite to be true. I feel like in my naivete at the very beginning stages of anything, I feel the most brazen because I I don't even know what could go wrong, right? Like I don't know what I don't know. Whereas the more you actually do become skilled in something. And the more you learn, the more your eyes are opened to all of the things that are possible that you haven't achieved or all the things that could 
go wrong that you didn't know could go wrong. And so I think it's really important to remind ourselves that even the even the people we most admire in our industry or people who we look at their success and we think, I have no, I, I can never do that. Like, I don't know how they do that. You have to also realize that at, at their stage, they still have moments of doubt. And, and in fact, probably even greater doubt than what you may experience because they are aware of more things. Yeah, I love that point. It's actually, it reminds me, it's the Dunning, I believe it's the Dunning-Kruger curve. I don't know if you ever looked at that. Yep, I'm obsessed with that. Yeah, that is exactly that concept. Exactly that concept. Yeah, that, that, and I love how you how you really like related that back to like even imposter syndrome, which is something that like I, I, I have to imagine because I know like when I think about, I constantly think about starting courses. How could I not when I'm interviewing all of these successful people starting their courses? And that yeah. one stops me in my track so many times. Um, I'm curious, like, I'm a big, big ask asking you to like somehow synthesize what you've learned over the course of the last several years doing this and to look back and give it give it to us somehow in a tidbit. But like, how are you managing? Like, how did you overcome that imposter syndrome? How are you managing it today? Um, Yeah, anything that you can offer for the listeners? So my big piece of advice is that I don't think imposter syndrome is something that needs or should be overcome. I'll tell you why. I think imposter syndrome, we often... Most people view it as a disadvantage, as a weakness in themselves somehow that they need to eliminate from their lives, right? I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think imposter syndrome is actually your advantage because if you even feel imposter syndrome, it tells me... Well, it tells me two things. One, it means that you actually care about the people that you serve and that you help in your business. If you didn't, why would you feel imposter syndrome, right? If you thought you were the very best at everything and you didn't really care how your work actually impacted people, what are you afraid of? There's no room for imposter syndrome and ego. There's only room for imposter syndrome when you actually care about the outcome. And so I think that's one thing to realize is it shows that you actually care about your people and that's a gift and that should be treasured. The second thing is that I think for as long as you have imposter syndrome, it shows me that you are still learning and that you're still staying open and curious. Because like I just mentioned, the more you become aware of things and the 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 more you up-level your skill set, your knowledge, your, your networks, whatever it looks like, you're actually going to feel probably even greater imposter syndrome. But that also shows me that you're still growing and learning as a person. If you stopped all growth, I would, I would honestly be a little bit concerned if you had no imposter syndrome, because then it's like, okay, have you completely stagnated in your growth as a human being? So that's honestly how I look at imposter syndrome and it's helped me a lot. So I hope that helps you too. I'm going to come back to this episode and listen to it over and over again. I I can tell you that much. (laughs) <laughs> this is another one of those pause moments in the show. Um, I'll use it as like a, a segue because like I, I do like, like we, we always talk about like kind of what has changed for you as a result. Like you didn't have to take this journey. You probably could have stayed in the corporate world. And I have I, I imagine you would have been quite successful just as, you know, your entrepreneurial spirit. You would have been a doer and you would have worked your way on up. But like what has changed for you as a result of actually taking this path? Oh, the people, the relationships. I think that is by far the greatest gift to this journey. I think about all the people, I mean, in all aspects of the business, my peers, mentors, students, clients, uh, just supporters, friends, like everyone that I've met through this journey that I know I would not have crossed paths with them had I stayed in my role. And I think that is also a big takeaway that I've learned over my years in business is that people are your greatest asset. There is literally no software, no skill, no strategy that could trump 
from what amazing gifts people bring to your life. And so I think that in anything that you do, um, whether it's client facing, whether it's with your colleagues or your own team, or even yourself, I think if you can always prioritize relationships and you always ask yourself, okay, if there's an opportunity for me, is it worth the investment of my time and energy and money because of the relationships that I will gain from this? If the answer is yes, it's worth your investment. And that's really how I would look at everything. I love that. That's that's my favorite answer to that question to date. Um, completely resonates. <laughs> I'm so honored. Thank you. <laughs> Just to get like a, I guess a little bit more practical. Um, uh, tell us, you're a podcast host. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, I, I every time before I get on a recording, I'm getting on, I'm checking the reviews. I want, I want to look at the comments. I want to understand it. What's your strategy um, for our listeners? Maybe because also Kajabi has a podcasting <laughs> feature, and we have people who are creating their podcasts on Kajabi. What's your yeah. strategy? Oh my goodness, there's so many directions we could go with this. Are you looking for a strategy on on growth, on interviews, on like? relationship building like what what kind of strategy are I'm going to be selfish right now and say okay. let's let's talk about reviews because I'm again like I said I'm constantly looking I want to shout people out during the show I check before every episode yes that's a great question I think you know over my year and we're we actually are so close to 300 reviews on cubicle the CEO so that'll be a really exciting milestone for us on Apple podcasts but you know what's interesting is I think I think people innately do want to help and support the creators that they love I just think that sometimes life gets in the way. So even when you ask people and you say, Hey, will you like, please, you know, give us a review, give us a shout out if you're enjoying this content, they may have the best intentions to do so, but sometimes it's really hard in the moment to actually take the action. So what I have found is it's similar to the concept of habit stacking, which I can't, I think it's from the book atomic habits, which is honestly sitting on my shelf, but I haven't read yet. But I just know from like conversations, this idea of habit stacking is like stacking a new habit with something you already do. So for example, like, every time you brush your teeth, you also do this and it helps you form that new habit. I think about reviews in the same way. So it's like, how can I incentivize someone to leave a review if it's in tandem with something that's already happening in that moment? So what I have found to be really effective is when I have conversations and DMs with someone, and if they like send us a message, for example, and they're like, oh my gosh, like this week's episode blew my mind and blah, blah, blah. Right. I will let them know right in that moment. Hey, I I love those words that you just share with me. Would you be willing to do me a huge favor and literally copy exactly what you just said in that message above, go pop it over, you know, onto, onto Apple podcast as a review. And then let me know like, which, which, um, link would you like me to shout out for you in next week's episode? Like something that feels very urgent in that moment. And they have to do really no extra work. Cause they already wrote you the review. They just have, I mean, even though they didn't intend to right when they DM'd you, but they essentially did. So they just have to copy their exact words, paste it. And then they get a shout out. And, and because it's that moment of time where it's already happening, that ask becomes so much easier for someone to follow through on than just a general plug in your show where you're like, Hey, would you please leave us a review this week? So that's something that I found helpful. Amazing. I'm going to try it. And for any of our like current Kajabi customers who are listening to this, like take advantage of this amazing, amazing, like tons of gold today, Ellen. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. I guess like any, uh, just like closing words or thoughts before, like, cause this has been so, so much good, good quality content, so much 
such actionable advice. Like, like what, what would you say like the next step if someone's listening to this in their car, where do they start? Well, uh, that's a hard question to answer because been in my community, you know, this, I always say context is everything. So I feel like in life, so much of your success is dictated by the quality of the questions you ask. So even with that question, which is a really quality question, it depends, right? It depends on what your goal is. Here's what I will say though, because Kajabi is first and foremost, a knowledge platform and in, in helping you share your knowledge. I think that people overcomplicate creating courses so much. You even said so yourself Drew, today that like you have been feeling inspired to create courses, but it's like, it feels like there's so many hurdles, right? To getting your first course out there. And so it's for that exact reason, actually, that we created our live course creation challenge. It's a three-day container where literally within three days time, we help someone turn the knowledge that already exists in their head in whatever category they... I mean, it does not have to be business or marketing related. And we help you take that and turn it into an online course that you can enroll paying students for before you've even created any lesson content upfront. And that's the piece I think that always blows people's minds because they they overcomplicate it and they think, I have to spend you know three to six months writing out all my lesson content, filming it, editing it, creating a marketing plan, a launch strategy, putting it out there into the world. And it's... I mean, it's on and on and on. When in reality, the easiest way to create your online course is literally to get paid to create it by enrolling beta students and then live teaching the content to them and taking those first recordings as the initial lessons that you splice and upload into Kajabi to launch your first course. Because that initial cash injection they give you, your founding students give you, not only pays for your software for Kajabi, your Kajabi subscription, but you also actually get real-time feedback from students as you're creating the content. And their questions and their feedback will help open your eyes to blind spots. So my advice to you, if you're listening to this podcast and you're someone who's been wanting to create a course, but you've just been feeling so overwhelmed by the process, I'm here to encourage you that it does not have to be as complicated as you're making it and simplify it. Because if hundreds of course creators can do it in three days time, I promise you, you can too. And if you need any help with that, my DMs are always open. You can absolutely reach out and I would love to help you with that. Well, speaking of which, where do people get a hold of you if they want to DM or just want to check out your course? Uh... Yeah. Thank you for asking. So our podcast is the best place to get free resources and business tips. So Cubicle to CEO, wherever you're listening to this, you can search and subscribe to our show as well. We release new episodes every Monday. And then for Instagram, so our our Instagram is at Cubicle to CEO. And my personal Instagram is uh, at Miss Ellen Yin. So if you want to reach out to me on either of those platforms, I'd love to hear from you what you're working on, um, what you need help with. And, and we look forward to serving you in any way we can. Amazing. Amazing. Well, that is all we have for you this week. Uh, we look forward to seeing you all next week on the Kajabi Edge podcast. 